Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. So, in April 2019, Marvel Studios released what would be the highest grossing film of all time. It just recently got eclipsed because they like re-released Avatar and that feels like cheating to me, but anyway. This movie made $2.8 billion, which is a lot of money. And uh, it was the exciting conclusion to a 22 movie long series. I mean, if you're confused by the universe, yeah, and we're all confused. It's, it's so long, but, but we were excited, all right? Because this movie, it was, gonna, it was gonna answer all the questions. We'd been 11 years in the making. We were waiting to know, how does the story end? And it had hype. It had excitement. And it actually shared two very critical things in common with the gospel. The reason that this movie was successful is the same reason the gospel was successful in the first century. I'll explain in a moment. So, as I said, this was the end of a 22-movie-long series. There were stories, characters being developed, and it was all mounting toward this, this end. And there was this giant tsunami, this, this tidal wave of, of excitement and, and hype. We wanted to know what was going to happen. And this, this, this story, this backstory that led up to it, it was huge. But the other thing that led to the hype around this movie is that nobody had any idea what it was going to be about. So it was released in April. Four months beforehand, they announced the title of the movie. We knew it was coming for like five years, but we didn't know what the movie was going to be called. And then six weeks beforehand, they released the trailer. And the trailer was epic. It had all the characters. It had all the music. But it had no information. All we learned was that they were going to do whatever it took to save the world. But that didn't stop people. They all showed up in droves. They wanted to see what was going to happen. And they sat through a three-hour movie to learn about the conclusion of this universe. And as I said, it was, a, it was an amazing success. It made $2.8 billion. If anyone ever doubted that Marvel was going to make a good movie, I mean, they could just point to that and they could say, look, we made it. We're done. All right, you've engaged me for long enough. How does this relate to the gospel? How does this relate to Ephesians? You're wondering. Well, as I said, this shares two critical things in common with the success of the gospel in the first century. And that is, one, a huge amount of inertia leading up to this moment. What is going to happen? We got 39 books of the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament. And and we're all excited. We want to know, what is God going to do? What's this grand plan of redemption? We had little hints all along the way, but no one knew. And that was the other thing. We had no idea. Here's what we were told in Acts. He says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Isaiah 48. From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now. Not long ago, before today, you had never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. How about 1 Corinthians 2? But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Finally, 1 Peter 2, concerning this salvation, 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not ser- that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, send from heaven things into which angels long to look. Look, all of these things, all of this time has been mounting up to the revelation of the gospel, the revelation of the mystery. What's it going to be? Angels long to look. Prophets were prophesying, but they didn't know. They didn't know. What was it going to be? And here we are in Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to be my revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all his saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. We're continuing our series in Ephesians. And uh, we're going to be talking this morning about Ephesians here, the unveiling and indwelling of the household of God. And as I, I hope I have properly hyped this up, this is amazing, okay, Paul tells us that this mystery, which has been hidden forever, he says in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That forever, for thousands and thousands of years, people were wondering, what is the end of the story? And Paul says, when you read what I am writing for you now, you will know what this has all been leading up to. This is it's the most exciting thing. And we can become so jaded to this gospel, to the story of Jesus, because we hear it all the time. But this is an amazing story. This is an amazing thing. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. It's, it's crazy. It's revolutionary. It's, it's never been done before. But God did it. That is what this has been leading up to. So with that hype, in mind, because I, I, I really think that's the right word for it. I think we need to be excited about this mystery that is revealed to us. With that in mind, let's take this, this chapter in a little bit. The first part is a superlative revelation. The greatest, most exciting, best revelation that has ever been revealed is right here for us. The mystery hidden for ages. 
And we start in verse 1. And Paul begins a, a sentence which he doesn't end up finishing. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he says, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he gets really excited, and then he goes on this 13-verse tangent. But what he wants to say is what we'll pick up in verse 14 eventually. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and then he prays for them to receive some sort of power. But we're going to get to that in a few minutes. First, we had to take on these first 13 verses, because Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul. This reason, what is it? Well, he's told us in verse 22 that in him, that is in Christ, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so far in Ephesians, I'll just recap for you. We talked about chapter one, the builder and the blueprint, that God had a plan from the beginning of time that he was going to create a blameless, holy people for his glory. And that was the, that was the plan. It's going to be the greatest building project ever undertaken. And who is he going to get to do it? Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to bring this plan into reality. But then we get to chapter two. And what do we learn about in chapter two? We learn that God has some very unique ideas for how to build his magnum opus building. That he's going to create it, one, from just the most rotten materials possible. Dead in trespasses people. Those are the people he's like, yes, I want those to be the blocks of my church. And then we learn that God saw the Jews and Gentiles, these two incompatible parts, and he said, yes, I'm going to unify them into one. And so now, having been unified, having been uh, sanctified, we are the house of God, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Paul is like, okay, now you got to realize this is a significant thing, that God is dwelling in you, the church. And so Paul is going to pray about that in verse, in verse 14. But he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's probably, he is definitely in prison at this point, although I think prisoner here probably has more to do with the fact that he is a slave of Christ. He says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And then he says, Gentiles, and he starts thinking, man, you know, I was going to say something, but actually, scrap that, we got to put it, we got to put a tangent in here, start a parenthesis, Tychicus, we're going to talk about the Gentiles, because this is the most amazing thing. He says, I assume that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So he's like, God gave me a very unique role, a stewardship. I, Paul, the very least of the saints, he says in verse 8, I have been given this amazing responsibility. I'm the guy that's going to reveal the mystery. And this is a grand stewardship. This is a, a lot to handle. But Paul says, this is my job. He has this stewardship. He's going to make known the mystery of the revelation, as he has written briefly. And then he tells us in, in verses 4 through 6, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
So we've talked about this mystery, this culmination of all that the Bible has been leading up to. This is very exciting. And Paul gets to reveal it. He reveals it in these words that we are reading. And he tells us this is it. Strap in. It's that the, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. And this is what he's been talking about already in chapter 2. I, chapter 2, verse 18 is going to be a critical text. We're going to keep coming back to it as we discuss this, uh, this chapter. But he says, through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2. That before this, before Jesus came and changed the whole world, uh, we often say that the Gentiles couldn't be saved, which is actually technically true. Because under the old law, any Gentile could become a Jew. Uh, They could become a proselyte, and they were kind of a second-class Jew, but they could still come to God. And we see, you know, people like uh, Rahab and uh, Ruth and lots of other uh, great women and also probably men, but mostly women, uh, who changed and came and were proselytes, and they became part of the Jewish nation. And this is what a lot of people were expecting. There are some prophecies that are kind of construed this way. Uh, this is what the Jews believed, that, even, that the Judaizing teachers, as they're teaching, trying to convert all these Gentiles to become Jews, to then become Christians, they think that the Gentiles have to become Jews because the salvation comes through Jews. That's what they think. But Paul says, no, i got to clarify this for you. That's not the way this is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Not Gentiles as proselytes, not Gentiles as becoming Jews, but that they, 2 verse 18, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That the Jew and Gentile alike comes to God on equal terms. That we come before God and that he forgives us, not as we become Jews to become Christians, but no, just as we are. And this, this is astonishing because as we discussed again in chapter 2, these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't get along very well. And yet God brings unity. He breaks down the dividing wall of the law. He breaks down all the things that, they could, that the Jews could stand on and, and feel like they're superior to the Gentiles. And he says, none of that matters anymore. You're coming to me equally. And this is amazing because it creates in the gospel, in the household of God, something that could not exist otherwise, a unity across wildly diverse and uh, intensely heated uh, cultures. And yet, this is what we have, a unity in Christ. Paul continues in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, I have two jobs from God, both of which are kind of a big deal. And he's like, this is crazy because... I am the least of the saints. Like, I do not deserve to be the guy that gets to do this. But 
He's carrying the torch. He's, he's doing his job. These are the things. First, in verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Think what a rewarding job that is for Paul to be the one that is carrying this message of hope, this message of salvation to people who have not heard it before, to people that didn't even know that they needed saving. And yet Paul is here to tell them about the incredible mystery, the incredible love, the incredible mercy, the incredible power of God and the way that he wants to work in our lives. That's the first thing. But second, Paul is also here to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. That Paul gets to be the one that reveals what we've all been waiting for. He is the one who gets to unveil this powerful thing. And if we're talking about this in terms of a house, uh, if God is the architect and Jesus is the builder, then I guess Paul is the real estate agent. He gets to be the one that shows people the house to say, look at this. Look how amazing this is. Who could have designed this but someone divine? This is amazing. And it's so amazing that what he says in verse 10, this is maybe one of my top 10 favorite verses in the whole Bible. He says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I think about this. Uh, we read that verse in, in, Tim, uh, in Peter earlier that talks about how angels long to look, long to see where is this all going? That for ages, there have been spiritual forces wondering what God is up to. And God has just been working. He's just been laboring away. Kind of in the same way, you know, we talked about that Marvel movie. People are always wondering, you know, what, where's it going? What's going to happen? And they've been secretly behind closed doors, laboring, figuring out, making it perfect. And then the movie came out. And then the church was formed. And there was no question. No one could doubt anymore. It spoke for itself. God only had to point at the church and say, look, it's done. And we, the church, the household of God, we get to be his magnum opus that displays the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That there are angels looking down on us and saying, wow, God did an amazing thing. And that is, that's a lot for us to be. That's a lot to be expected from us that we are here to display the wisdom and the power of God. But God is going to help us do that as we'll continue reading. But first, we'll finish this section, verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Verse 11 is basically a rehashing of what we saw in chapter 1. The eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God had a blueprint and Jesus made it a reality. God had been planning from the dawn of time, from before creation, to have this holy sanctified people, to redeem them, to make them one, to give them an inheritance. This is what God wanted to do. This was his plan all along. And now it's happening and it's amazing. Then we get verse 12. 
Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, Paul, we're the writer of Hebrews. Uh, I might think that he was talking about prayer here, uh, and he will eventually uh, pray here in a couple verses. But I think most critically, the access through Jesus comes in what we've already highlighted as an important text, chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That Paul is saying, Through Jesus, Jew and Gentile, we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. We can now come before God on equal footing with the Jews that we are here to lean in faith on Christ, on God. And so he finishes this section with verse 13. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. As we said uh, at the beginning of this chapter and at the at this point, Paul is in prison. I mean, he's, he is suffering for them. But he says, this is for your glory. All of this, all of these, these things, all of these moments that have led up to now, this is for you. It's, it's always been for the church. That God had all of these plans and it was to create this household, this place. And so what are the, what are the takeaways from this first section of chapter 3? Well, I think we need to see here the amazing grace of God. That we live on this side of this revelation. That for thousands and thousands of years, people are wondering, what's going to happen? And now, now we get to be the people that know. That's amazing. I mean, Moses didn't get that. Abraham didn't get that. Elijah didn't get that, but I do. And that is an amazing grace that we need to not take for granted. Two, I think we need to appreciate the amazing grace that God has revealed his will to us and has entrusted us to be, like Paul, people who carry this message to people who don't know. I mean, we have this incredible story of power and of grace and love, and we don't need to grow jaded to it. We need to be excited. We need to be telling everybody that we can about it. As I said, if Paul is a real estate agent, so do we need to be. We need to be attuned to what this message is. We need to know why it's amazing. We need to know why we, would lo- why we are a part of it. What makes it unique? What makes it glorious? What makes it the thing that God points to and says, this is the work that shows my wisdom. And then we need to be telling everybody we can how amazing this church is so that people know how awesome it is. Three, we need to be amazed at the amazing grace of God to allow us to be a part of this gospel, to be a part of this building that God could have overlooked us. God could have chosen totally different bricks, but he chose us flawed and damaged as we are to make a part of his church, his household, to dwell among us. And what an amazing gift that is. And so we need to recognize how awesome this revelation is that we have from God and realize what a gift it is that we can receive it, can tell people about it, can be a part of it, and then go out and do that. We are the household of God, and we have a story to tell people, and we need to do that. But that's only the first half of this chapter, guys. we got a whole another section, although it's, it's shorter, I'll admit. So next, let's read verses 14 through 21. But actually, we're also going to read verse 
2.22 through 3.1. So I'll, I'll coach, uh, coach us through there. So 2.22, we'll start there. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth? and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So this last section, these eight verses here, we're going to break it up into two sections. First, we're going to talk about what is a, I'm going to call a cycle of habitability. And then there's a doxology, a praise section at the end to the power at work within us, the power of God. And that's how Paul's going to close out the first half of this book. But let's talk about this cycle of habitability. Because as you are reading, you probably noticed two words repeated a lot. Uh, one of them is power. The second is dwelling or uh, indwelling, or within us. And so I want to talk about this again in terms of a house. So uh, Karen Lance, uh, about a year ago, purchased uh, like a fixer-upper house. And uh, as you know, with a fixer-upper house, you can't always move in in the same way that you would move into like a brand new house. Uh, You kind of have to tame it. So when they first got there, I mean, they were like, weird things all on the walls. They had to like pressure wash the dishwasher and had like one working bathroom or like a half a working bathroom. When you have a house like that, you can't move in all at once. You have to slowly work and you you take on a bathroom and then you move and you, you take on another place. And in the same way, God is making us into a house that he wants to dwell in. But we're not perfect. We have a lot of flaws. And in that same way, that by living in the house and slowly working in it and using your power to transform the house, you slowly get another room, another bathroom, a kitchen that you like. And slowly, as you you inhabit this house, you're able to dwell in it more because you're doing more work in it. And the same is true for God and the church, that we are his workmanship. We are the household of God. We are here to glorify him, but we're not perfect. And God has to dwell in us. And as he's dwelling in us, his power is going to work in us. And as his power works in us, then we are going to become more loving, more knowledgeable. And as we become more loving and more knowledgeable, he's able to dwell in us deeper. And then as he dwells in us deeper, we get more love and more power and more transformation until we are the church that God wants to be in. And so, as, I, as I'll point out, verse 19 ends in us being filled with all the fullness of God. That's where the end of this section goes. But in order to be filled with the whole fullness of God, what is it that we need? Earlier in that verse and in verse 18, we need to have a knowledge 
of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, the height and the breadth and the depth. We need to know the love of Christ in order for God to dwell in us fully. Well, how is it that we come to know the love of Christ? Well, we become rooted and grounded in love, verse 17. And how do we become rooted and grounded in love? It's that Christ dwells in us. So the fact that Christ dwells in us allows us to know love, to understand love. And the more love we understand, the more God dwells in us. And this works all with the power of the spirit that is moving in us. We'll start in verse 14, and we're going to take this now having established this chunk, the idea that we're trying to talk about. Now, let's go verse by verse. He says, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. So for this reason, because God is dwelling in you, and I want you to be a good dwelling place for God, for this reason, I am bowing before the Father from whom we get our identity. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That he hopes that by the grace of God, we might receive the spirit and with the spirit power. Now, this should not surprise us because all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, the spirit is associated with power. Think Samson. When is he strong? When the spirit of God rushes on him. Think Bezalel and Aholiab. When did they have the power, the wisdom to build the temple? It was when God gave them the spirit. We see the spirit of God allowing people to do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. The spirit is associated with power. And so we are given this power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. We need to have the power. We need to have the indwelling to start. You know, you got to move into the house so that you can start working on the little things. And the more you're in there, the more power you can exert in your house to transform it into what it's supposed to be. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That when God is dwelling in us, when the Spirit's power is moving in us, it allows Christ to dwell in us and Christ allows love to work in us. And we start to understand the love of God. And as we start to understand the love of God and to live out the love of God and the power of the love of God works in us, it allows us to be filled with the whole fullness of God. And so as we are living out our lives, we also need to be, see this cycle of habitability. That we are letting God work in our lives. We are letting his power transform us. We are letting that power teach us more about love. And letting that love transform us so that we are more habitable. And the more habitable we are, the more God can move, move in us, the more power he can work in us, the more love he can teach us, the more inhabitable we become. And God slowly moves in and transforms us and makes us into what we are supposed to be. Well, you're probably thinking, Brent, how do I do that? Because here's the thing. I, uh, I was dead in my trespasses and uh, walking under the sons, of the sons of disobedience and following the passions of my flesh. Like, I'm not exactly the kind of place that God would want to dwell. And we talked about that last time, but we're going to talk about that this time as well. Because here's the thing. The power that is at work within you can do anything. Read verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
You see, we might not be able to turn ourselves, in fact, we cannot turn ourselves into a habitable place with God, for God on our own. We can't, we don't have that kind of power. We're dead in our trespasses. But we have God. We have the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us power. And that power is not just a small amount of power. This is a far more abundantly than all that we ask or think kind of power. This is a power that can do anything, a power that can overhaul any sort of house. And when it saw Paul, who was the least of the saints, it saw Paul, who was the chief of sinners, that grace worked, that love transformed, that power made Paul into something new. And that power is working in us as well. The power at work within us. That God has that power. He is transforming us. And to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That when we are the house that God wants, when we are being transformed, it becomes apparent. People see it. And people are amazed. People, powers in the heaven, they're all looking at the church And through it, they should see the manifold wisdom of God. And when we are working the way we are supposed to, it's going to bring glory to God. It's going to bring him honor. And so that's why Paul is really concerned about this. That's why Paul wants to pray about it. He wants, as he considers that we are being a dwelling place for God, this church, the church at large, universally. When we are a dwelling place for God, we need to be praying about this. We need to be praying that God's work and power and transformation can change us to be what we want to be. This is what Paul prays for. That's what we're going to pray for right now before I offer our invitation. Let's pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before you, our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you might grant us to be strengthened through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This morning, we've been discussing this idea that we are a dwelling place for God, that we have this amazing story to tell. God is at work within us. That should bring him glory. And as we leave this place. We need to have that story on our hearts. And if you are not a part of the church, not a part of the household of God, we would love to help you do that. We want to tell you about this story. We want to help you be baptized. Whatever you need, we want to help you with that. Or if you are a part of that church, but you haven't been working to create a space in your life for God, you haven't been letting his power transform you, we want to help you with that as well. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.